Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. This next hour, we study the inspired and true Word of God and see the Word made flesh, our resurrected Lord Jesus, who is your light and your salvation. His light shines on us today from 1 Kings chapter 5. Solomon is preparing to do the task that the Lord had readied for him to build the temple. Just like when you have a construction crew come to build a house, it takes preparation and many, many people, which we will see how the Lord prepared the Israelites to build this holy place and what that means for us today. The gifts are ready, ready for you. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Thy Strong Word is generously underwritten by our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. Helping us to be strengthened by God's Word, we have with us regular guest, Pastor John Lekomsky, co-host of Wrestling with the Basics here on KFUO. Pastor Lekomsky, welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Oh, my goodness, it's good to be back, Brady. I think I actually have the right chapter, 1 Kings 5, right? (laughs) Just for reference sake, I texted you twice and I called you this morning just to make sure. That's right. So I'm glad you clarified that. Absolutely. Uh, Man, we've got so much stuff. I don't know if we're going to get it done in an hour. This this text is just loaded with all kinds of good things. So It is. It absolutely is. But first, yeah. let me ask about Sherathon. You and Pastor Clark wrestling with the basics. How was Sherathon for you this year? It was you know what? My big disappointment is you were there right before me. And if I'd known you were coming in, we would have come early so that I could actually have met you in person. So That would have been uh, great. Yeah, that would have been great. Been, well, at Next least year. at least we passed like two ships in the night there. <laughs> exactly. And you know, uh, Matt, uh, Pastor Clark and I went to school together for uh, for a year and so it'd been good to see him as well. But I like I told him, um maybe next year. That's what we'll look forward to. Well, I just thought it was cool you were actually able to be down in St. Louis for the Sherathon because I understand you had other meetings you needed to attend. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm yeah. glad for you you were able to do that. Oh, it was great. I mean, to be in St. Louis on Thursday and Friday, what an honor to sit with with everyone there, Andy and Sarah, Jenny, Mary, and to see all the faithful work that KFUO does. Obviously, Stephanie, too, who does all the behind-the-scenes the work. <laughs> uh, Pastor Sean Smith of Concord Matters was there, got to see him. And then, the, the this wasn't the highlight, but this was a lot of fun, as I was able to eat at Hodax in South St. Louis. Um, that was really <laughs> something some I was looking chicken, forward to. Huh? <laughs> Yeah, you bet. You bet. And I actually had it with uh, uh, Pastor Boyce Claire, a regular guest in North St. Louis, was able to join me. And that was a lot of fun. And then even more so, this is nostalgia. I'm a very nostalgic person. And so from Hodax, my wife and I lived about three blocks south of there in Benton Park. And so I thought, you know what? I'm just going to drive down the old place. Uh, we're old, old uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, whatever it was, brick housing. We're in the upper floor. Yeah. Our landlords um, were Larry and Steve Seidenstricker. Good, good German names. We yeah. they were our landlords. They were, you know, they grew up. They were uh, uh, their their dad Roy was a member at Emmaus Lutheran, and and we were they were our landlords. So I, I'm just going to drive by and see if they're around because they loved being outside. So we drove by and boom, there they were. I got out of the car, and Larry, who was who was a, the older brother or younger brother, excuse me, yells out, "Is that Brady Finner?" And so we just had a great time. <laughs> hanging out for about another hour and a half in South St. Louis. So I 
a shout out to my friends, the Sidon Strickers, but also to everybody who made Sherathon. And uh, what a blessing it is to be part of KFUO and all the wonderful work that they do. So there and, it you is. Know, that 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 was the really cool thing is because these people who, like you said, we we know them, we know them well, and I hadn't seen them in person for for over a year, and wow. so that was kind of the joy to actually be back in there the way we used to do things. Although you're right, I did miss Stephanie because that's not her day to work on Thursday. So, okay. but yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> yeah, it was it was a real neat neat time for sure. So shout out to everyone who works at KFUO and to our listeners. Just keep all those individuals in your prayers. They do a lot of work. Work, making sure that you get the gospel, you get the word of God, and to faithfully make sure it happens. Andy, Sarah, Stephanie, Jenny, Mary, and everyone else, we give thanks for you and give thanks to our Lord. And with that, let's begin our time in prayer. Can you pray for us, Pastor? Oh, Lord, we're going to read a chapter that seems like, oh, it's just history from a nation that is no longer really significant. Uh, but but uh, it's all about for us. We, we know that, that everything in the Bible is for us. So help us to see and hear this chapter and understand it as a message for us, a message of law, uh, perhaps to move us to repentance, but certainly also a message, again, of your, your grace and your forgiveness in Jesus Christ. So may this study of God's Word strengthen our faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Pastor, yesterday we went through 1 Kings chapter 4, and this was fascinating. One, I'm the one who had to try to read all of these names. And so <laughs> Pastor Schmidt, who was with us, is kind of like, okay, take a drink of water and take a rest. I'll talk now. So um, there's a lot of information. And when we get to chapter 5, there's obviously a lot of context from 1 through 4. Anything you want to highlight to help us out this morning? Well, I, I, you're going to be doing kings, and so so here's the thing I would say to to you about everything that it lies ahead. I think you need to read the book of Kings as a book of tragedy. Um, mm. I, I think we need to realize when these words are being written, this this particular chapter about the temple is particularly striking in that respect, because there is no temple anymore. Uh, the temple's gone. The temple's destroyed. The kingdom no longer exists. Uh, these right. people are in exile in Babylon. And, and I think you need to read the book uh, with the question, what happened? Uh, has mm. God abandoned us? Uh, was was the Lord not faithful? Is there some other reason that we're in the predicament we are? So, so please understand that this is a sad book because we know how it's going to end, and it's not going to end well. Uh, which, of course, is where it crosses our path, because we know how we're going to end, and, and it's not going to end well for us either. We're all going right. to die. Uh, and yet in the midst of that, and we're going to see that in this chapter, there's this constant theme, though, that God is still there. God makes promises. God keeps his word. Maybe you can see what the problem is. You've been relying on yourself rather than trusting in the Lord. So, uh, and, and then the other thing, again, especially in this chapter about the temple, you have to remember when you read the Old Testament about the temple, you're actually talking about Jesus, right? And Jesus mm -hmm. says, he calls his own body, says, this is the temple. You'll destroy it and I'll re re resurrect it in three days, he, he says. Uh, and, and of course, Colossians says everything in the Old Testament is a shadow. So when you're reading about the temple here in the Old Testament, you have to be asking yourself, well, what is this foreshadow about the true temple? The mm -hmm. only real temple, by the way, where, where God is present here on earth uh, in his son, Jesus Christ. So those would be some of the other preliminary things. And yet, I'm sorry, one, one final comment. Please, Because I was thinking, well, I was thinking, <laughs> see, we don't want to make this into an allegory. You, you can't read right. Kings like 
like, okay, so this is just an allegory about Jesus. No, no, no. These are real people. Hiram's a real guy. Solomon's a real person. So we need to think about what they're doing, how they're acting, uh, maybe try to understand what their thought is. Because in these men, we'll see both sin, which of course is again a call for us to repent, but mm -hmm. we're also going to see faith. And, and that can also teach us some things then too. And this is important. It's all important. You said it so well that it shows us obviously Christ and we need to always go there. And Dr. Seleska, when he talked about the Psalms, he said, always be careful when you read the Psalms to not just jump to Jesus too quickly. Because in part of that was you get to be allegorizing where you're just find, trying to find the meaning behind the text or everything's just a symbol. And when the scriptures are, are not uh, just symbols, that there's actual real history that affects us really today. Dr. Meyer in his commentary talks about that this is a, a history that shows us theology and also shows us our own lives where if anybody ever says, here is the um, here is the uh, manifest destiny, we have figured it out finally, you know, we have it all figured out, then be very wary and be ready to repent because you'll never have that until Christ returns. So that's one of the main themes that I read in his commentary. Well, and, and here's the thing, we need to see our own lives that way. Yeah, we, right. we need to see our own lives as, as theology. Everything that's going to happen to you and me today and will happen tomorrow and has happened is all about God. And, and he's trying to lead us to faith through both the blessings and also the struggles. Uh, right. uh, so, yeah, we, we need to look at our own lives and say, well, so what is the meaning of this? And again, obviously, we're not allegorizing. We're talking about reality, how the real world is. Yeah. So a reminder to everyone that if you have any questions for us this morning concerning our text, drop us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, kfuo at kfuo.org. And a reminder, too, that when you do send a question, uh, we will try to address that, even if it's not today, that in next few days, because we do have a question from yesterday's text in Chapter 4 that we will address after our, after our break. So send us an email, uh, ask us a question, and we will get to it as soon as we possibly can. But let's open up our Bibles, get started. The gifts are ready. And a reminder to our listeners that we are reading from the English Standard Version of the Holy Scriptures. Chapter 5, 1 Kings chapter 5. I'll read the first six verses. Now Hiram, king of Tyre, sent his servants to Solomon when he heard that they had anointed him king in the place of his father. For Hiram always loved David. And Solomon sent word to Hiram. You know that David, my father, could not build a house for the name of the Lord his God because of the warfare with which his enemies surrounded him until the Lord put them under the soles of his feet. But now the Lord, my God, has given me rest on every side. There is neither adversary nor misfortune. And so I intend to build a house for the name of the Lord, my God, as the Lord said to David, my father, your son, whom I will set on your throne in your place, shall build the house for my name. Now, therefore, command that cedars of Lebanon be cut for me, and my servants will join your servants, and I will pay you for your servants such wages as you set. For you know that there is no one among us who knows how to cut timber like the Sidonians. So now we have a, a new guy on the, on the scene. Uh, Hiram, king of Tyre. Uh, what do we know about him and his history? Okay, well, so, so here's the thing. Uh, uh, with, with Hiram... Uh, we actually have a parallel tragedy, okay? Right. Because uh, as the text tells us, Hiram loved David. They were, they were very close. They were great allies. 
Uh, and again, if, if you just want to deal with it from a worldly standpoint, that is perfectly understandable because as we can see in the text, uh, the Phoenicians, uh, Tyre, Sidon, they have a lot of natural resources, wood, stone, what have you. They don't have a lot of uh, grazing land or, 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 or uh, what am I trying to say, uh, land where you can plant crops. And, and so mm -hmm. the bed basket is actually done in Israel. And, and it's interesting, this is true even in the days of Jesus. There's a passage in Acts where the people in Tyre and Sidon go to King Herod and they're asking for peace because it says that's where they get their food from, all right? So, oh, so from yeah. a worldly standpoint, okay, this is kind of a natural relationship between Hiram uh, and, and David and then also Hiram and uh, his son Solomon. But but what's interesting is, is Hiram is going to have the same experiences that Israel have. Uh, Hiram will be uh, replaced by his son, but then mm. there'll be a rebellion uh, in, in uh, the land of Tyre and Sidon. And, and actually, uh, Hiram's high priest, uh, Ethbaal, I think is his name, he will uh, have a coup d'etat and he will take over the country, which actually will lead to further uh, uh, kind of uh, relationships going on because it's Ethbel's uh, daughter Jezebel who will end up marrying King Ahab, and of course we have oh, that whole goodness. tragedy going up in the Northern Kingdom. So, it, uh, and, and of course from then on, the entire side is actually being bullied by the Assyrians and the Babylonians and uh, the Persians, and then finally after that the Greeks. So it's it's interesting that the kind of tragedy that's going to happen to Israel is also happening to other nations as well. Uh, but, of course, Israel is special because they're God's chosen people. Um, I think what's striking, though, here is now Hiram or Hiram, king of Tyre. Uh, see, that's the point. This is a foreigner who's going to supply the materials to build God's holy temple. Mm -hmm. And, of course, when we get to the end of the text, it's going to be foreigners who will build the temple. And to me, that's the Jesus connection, see? Because ah. the Jews thought the temple was just about them. It's our God, right? In fact, right. in the days of Jesus, there were actually signs that surrounded the temple saying, no Gentile can step in here or they'll be put to death, see? Uh, and I think, I think this is God already saying, how did you ever get to that understanding? Didn't I not tell you that my house is a house of prayer for all nations? You know, mm, that's what mm -hmm. it says in Isaiah 56. And of course, you got Jesus, Jesus talking about Tyre and Sidon, that they, they would have repented if they'd seen the things that, that you've seen. And, and, and he's constantly going up to Tyre and Sidon into the land of the Gentiles. So uh, right. I think that's one of the key things here, that this, this, whatever this God is going to do, this, this presence of God on earth, it never was intended to just be for the people of Israel, but it was intended to be for all nations. And I get that feeling, you know, the title above chapter five, at least in the uh, English Standard Version, says preparations for building the temple. That once again, we don't want to allegorize this, but there is also that reality. He's preparing the nations um, for this salvation. This is something that many people are going to be seeing. They're going to be building that this is clearly not just us and everyone else stay away, that there's a relationship between all these different countries and people and lands. And they're able to see the glory of, of Yahweh who works among his people. And I would encourage our listeners to find a map, because it is important to know that Tyre and Sidon are right on the right on the the sea. I mean, they're right on the sea, so they clearly are going to be able to do things differently than the Israelites, who are kind of out in the well. They're out in the uh, arable land, I guess you would say. Maybe not even that. 
um, the open land. And so there is that distinction as well, that why do they have a good relationship? Because they can help each other. But whenever there's an agreement, there always can be sin and brokenness, as you said so well here, Pastor. Uh, any other, uh, let's keep looking into this. What, what other things do you notice in these first six verses? Well, well, before we leave that business, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that about there being sin, because, of course, you know, we're going to get to the prophet Amos, and and mm-hmm. uh, he's going to point out that, that uh, Tyre and Sidon, in the end, will actually be enemies of Israel. Uh, they broke the covenant of brotherhood, he says, the covenant of brotherhood. That's Amos's phrase. Uh, so rather than being supportive in the end, they would be like everybody else in opposition. Um, the other thing I think that's clearly in these first six verses is the fact that everything that's happening here is happening because God promised it was going to happen, uh, especially that phrase by Solomon about the uh, the rest. But now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side. Um, the Old Testament is just full of these promises. Uh, Deuteronomy 25, therefore, when the Lord your God has given you rest from all your enemies around Uh you uh, and the land that the Lord your God has given you for an inheritance to possess. So so that's what Solomon's, in fact, in in verse, which verse is verse five? I mean, he emphasizes that. And so I intend to build a house for the name of the Lord, my God, as the Lord said to David, my father, your son, whom I will set on your throne in your place shall build for me a house for his name. So it's almost like Solomon saying, look, this is what God promised. This is what's got to happen. See? Which, of course, right. there's the message for us. Brady, I don't know if people understand why we go to church. We don't go to church because it's some moral obligation we have to fulfill, okay? Mm. That may mm-hmm. be the reason other religions go to worship their God. But but we go because we want to hear what the Lord has to say to us. Because we know whatever he says to us, whatever promises he makes to us there on a Saturday night or Sunday morning or Wednesday evening, whenever you're going, that's going to be true. And we can be sure of that because it's not dependent upon us. Like you said, we're going to see sin in here. We're going to see sin in this chapter. <laughs> we want to get through this and we'll see sin. But but the Lord's promises uh, always remain true. And it brings us back to Second Samuel chapter 7 when it says that this son will build a house for my name, basically quoting this verbatim. First Chronicles 17 quotes that as well. And so for Solomon, he was able to look back obviously with wisdom that God had bestowed on him and be able to say, okay, God's going to give us rest. This is my calling. So his vocation is very crystal clear. What is my job? Here it is. Now let's see how God will help us get this done. And this is important for us as Christians as well. Like like you said, what is our calling? One of our callings is to go to worship, you know, to see what the Lord has done for us, to receive his gifts, but I, I, I would compare it to, to somewhat of like, okay, uh, who am I supposed to love today? Well, it's pretty close to clear, crystal clear if you're married because there's your bride, uh, <laughs> there's your husband, right? There it is, you know, whether you want to or not at times. Um, and the same goes with our children. Very crystal clear about what our calling is at that time. Sometimes it's a little, you know, how we do that is always questionable as it is to build a whole temple. My goodness. Oh, Can you imagine yeah. the, all the details? <laughs> that go into this uh, that we'll see in these chapters. Um, But I I, I love, that's one thing that really stuck out on me is the crystal clarity of Solomon knowing this is what God has called me to do. And it was very, very obvious to him. And and, and Brady Boy, I really uh, appreciate your emphasis there on on vocation, because that's something I don't know that we always teach as loudly and clearly as we should, but I hope everyone listening to us understands, just like you said, they have a calling, they have a vocation. 
How we do that, it gets confusing sometimes. And of course, that's why Christians live a life of repentance, because we're mm. constantly thinking, well, maybe I haven't been doing it the way I should or I need to, but lead me to understand that, Lord. But you're right, a husband, wife, son, daughter, uh, citizen, uh, uh, governor, uh, whatever, we all have got some clear thing that we need to do. Uh, and let us do it, as you said, in love. Now, one, go, kind of going on that same vocation realm, in verse 6, Now therefore command that cedars of Lebanon be cut for me, and my servants will join your servants, and I'll pay for your servants such wages, um, and so forth. And it says at the end for, that there is no one among us who knows how to cut timber like the Sidonians. <laughs> and so <laughs> these Sidonians, which I believe to be the Phoenicians, or you know, he's speaking about his the, the Tyre Sidon area, correct? Yeah, or, do you read yeah, anything on yeah. that? Okay. Yeah, no, no, and, I agree with you. That That's what it is, sure. Yeah, and so with that is this understanding of we know that you guys do this well, so we want you on our side. Does that relate with vocation and how we look at the world today? Well, I, I think you're. I think it's, it relates in two ways. First of all, in a, in a very fleshly way, he's kind of buttering them up, <laughs> and I guess that's okay. You know, if you're yep. sincere, really, you're, you're the guy that can do this job. And and is that not how we come at it as a church, as a pastor? You you need people to to help you and volunteer, and you go to the people that you really think that these are the ones that can do it do it well. Uh, and I think that's also the understanding. I appreciate that thought too. So if God gives us a vocation, he He's going to give you what you need to do that vocation. And that's why you can rely, because it's not upon you. Uh, in fact, we need to talk about the wisdom of Solomon. You know, the fact mm, that that mm -hmm. wasn't something innate in Solomon. That was something that God gave Solomon. And so likewise, he gives to all of us what we need to, to fulfill whatever. He wouldn't give you the vocation if he wouldn't also give you the, the necessary uh, talents and abilities to perform that vocation. That is, that's a great point. Uh, when we speak about, you know, God has some high callings for us. Take up your cross and follow me. Um, he, you know, sends us out among wolves. Um, he, he calls us throughout the epistles that we just went through, just the holy living. And it's good for us to remember that God gives us what we need in order to do what he's called us to do. Um, and, and that's a Holy Spirit thing. Um, that's a, a gifts thing. And we're going to fall, no doubt about that. And obviously God is gracious and, and forgives on account of Christ. But also, let's not act like, well, I have no chance, so why not try? You know, I mean, God yeah. gives us what we need to do the, the work that he has called us. Now, I think this this relates. There's two things I want to highlight. Is first one is that the Sidonians were good at cutting trees, making lumber, bringing it to the people. And I think there's a connection there because the Sidonians are not necessarily, um, you know, godly people. They're not people followers of Yahweh. We kind of get a little bit of a feel here of Hiram, and maybe he is, but we, he isn't. And I think this goes the same realm of when you get your car fixed or you go to the doctor. We don't necessarily need Christian people to do those jobs for us. We pray that there's an opportunity to witness, but we give thanks because God's given them those gifts. And uh, we let them, I guess you say, give glory to God through those vocations and pray that faith comes in their hearts. Any thoughts on that? Well, and again, the, the fact that you're talking about the gifts 
that, that God has given. Because God gives gifts not just to believers. Everybody mm-hmm. belongs to God, and he gives gifts to everybody. Uh, although I'm thinking of the quote from C.S. Lewis that he said, well, what, what should we do as Christians? What, what if you're a Christian mathematician? What should you do as a Christian? And he says you should be the very best mathematician you could be. <laughs> okay? Right. So, so that's the difference. We understand what God has given us is his gift, and we seek to serve him then to the very best of our ability within that gift. Uh, but you're right, that, that not to the exclusion of the fact that he's given gifts to other people, and we need to recognize their gifts and celebrate those gifts, as Solomon does with the Sidonians here. Um, there, there are a couple other things that I want to point out before we leave this, this particular mm-hmm. section. Uh, um, uh, number one is the fact that Hiram uh, uh, is willing to do this. You know, right. he actually, in, 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 in Kings anyway, he comes to Solomon first. I think in Chronicles, Solomon comes to, to him first. But, 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 and I, I point that out because when we get to the end of the story, there's something I'd never realized before in this chapter. And, and uh, so I'll save that till later. But right now you need to know Hiram wants to do this. He's willing to do this. He's, he's coming to Solomon and basically saying, what can I do? I loved your, your dad. I love you. What can I do to be of help to you? So the willingness. You, you also brought up the fact about mm. his faith. Uh, and he certainly does acknowledge the fact of, of uh, Israel, uh, that, that the Lord is their God. But right. talk about that tragedy for, for Tyre and, and Sidon. What, what uh, history tells us is that what Hiram does from here is he goes out and he improves all of his temples. It's almost like yeah. he was inspired by Solomon's work and says, well, boy, I need to start make my temples look nicer, too. So you're right. That, that, that's the sad <laughs> thing. That's the tragedy. He, he recognizes the Lord, but he's still not ready to put the Lord as the only God of, of, uh, of, of creation. I look forward to talking more about that as we get to the other side. But I do want to mention this in the small catechism. I love going back to that. When the fourth petition, when it talks about God giving gifts to his people, he says, give us this day our daily bread. What does this mean? God certainly gives daily bread to everyone without our prayers, even to all evil people. And, and that just goes with this understanding that God gives gives gifts to all people, and we pray that faith comes. And that's that's not there's not an evangelistic understanding in this text. It doesn't say it that way, but there definitely is that reality that God was at work in all creation, all of the universe, um, for the sake of His glory. And the Holy Spirit works where and when it will. Now, I want to say this one final thing, and I think it, it's going to be. Well, you're going to talk about later too, but there's a, there's a, we have to remember that there's a lot of politics involved <laughs> in these yes. texts. And so when you see the agreements they're making, that we don't want to necessarily like jump to like, oh, this is a church and they're, da, 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 but, but there's, he's having to function as a king with about a minute left before our break. Any, any thoughts on how we should look at this as Christians, knowing there's politics involved? Well, I, I think, see, that's the thing. We, we got to remember we live in two kingdoms. We always live in two kingdoms. So there will always be the, the kingdom of the left where it is about politics. And it is about, because we'll see that uh, Hiram, on the one hand, volunteers. He's willing to help this. But you'll notice in the next verses, he also wants to get paid for it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And that's how it works. That's how it works in the world. And so we need <laughs> to understand, yeah, that's the kingdom of the left. And we're part of the kingdom of the left. And sometimes we have to work by the rules of the kingdom of the left. 
stuff, right? If, if you're in the government, then you got to work by the rules of the government. And judges send people to jail because that's what the law says needs to happen. But then we're also Christians, and so we deal with people differently. As Christians, then we don't deal with them in the law. We don't expect them to pay for whatever it is, but we, we can live in love and generosity and in mercy. So, yeah, you can kind of see that going on here, too. Wonderful. Well, as we look at that, we need to take our break. We're studying 1 Kings chapter 5 with Pastor Jolly John Lukomsky. We'll be right back. Tuesday on Issues Etc., we'll discuss worry with Pastor David Peterson, and we'll have Pastor Tom Baker lead us in a Sunday school lesson on Israel going into exile in 2 Kings chapter 17. And on Wednesday, we'll discuss Facebook's new prayer posts feature with Pastor Trevor Sutton. Issues Etc., live weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 on KFUO. You're a miracle. You know that, right? A living, breathing one-of-a-kind miracle. You were created to stand apart, to share your gifts in the service of others, to make an uncommon impact in a common world. And at Concordia University, it's our mission to help you do that, to live uncommon. To learn more about Concordia, go to cuw.edu. Our listeners and supporters are talking about Worldwide KFUO. One of my real aspirations is to set my mind on things above where Christ is. That's hard in that world of distraction. KFUO is really helping me to fix my mind on things above, to meditate on the things of Christ. You've been very helpful to me, and I appreciate it. To leave a message on the KFUO comment line, call 314-996-1542. Worldwide KFUO. Welcome back. We are studying 1 Kings chapter 5 with Pastor John Lukomsky. And we have a question that came in actually yesterday. And that's a reminder to our listeners that if you have a question, we'll try to address it even the next day. But we're looking at chapter 4. So I invite our listeners to turn to chapter 4 of 1 Kings chapter uh, 4, verse 26. And the question is this. Does Solomon have in chariots in chapter 4, verse 26... Signal the beginning of him trusting himself above God. Deuteronomy seventeen sixteen talks about Israel's kings not using horses so people would trust in God and breaks the precedent set by previous kings. So here it says Solomon at verse 26 of chapter 4. Solomon also had 40,000 stalls of horses for his chariots and 12,000 horsemen. So, Pastor, uh, Pastor John, um, does this signal the beginning of him trusting himself above God? 
Well, okay, so there's two things going on here. One, as you remember, God said, I'll give you whatever you want. Just tell me what you want. And, and Solomon asks for wisdom. And, and God says, that's a good thing. That's a, And again, not just wisdom for himself, but wisdom so he can be a good leader over his people. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, God says, you know, that's, that's a good thing you've asked for. And so along with that, I'll give you everything else, right? Just like Jesus says, seek ye first the kingdom, and all these things will be added unto you. So, so on the one hand, I don't think we want to be too negative about this because I think it's the author saying, see how God kept his word? So, Because in the very next mm, verses uh-huh. there in chapter 4, he talks about God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure, the breadth of mind like the sand. Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people in the East and all the wisdom of Egypt. So, so right. part of it is the author saying, see, God keeps his promises, which is the same theme we've got in chapter 5. See, God said that he, David would have a son and the son would build a temple. God keeps his promises. But I do think your listener is right. I think the other thing that's going here is that Solomon's beginning to forget that his wisdom is a gift from God, that everything is a gift from God. And yeah, the downfall is beginning because Solomon's going to start trusting in himself. Um, The one thing that struck me, and, and I didn't really realize that until my wife and I were studying this same text about three months ago, is that it seems like a good thing to pray for wisdom, doesn't it? And God says it's a good thing. It's a good thing. But what he really should have prayed for is he should have prayed for faith. That's what he should have prayed for. Because wisdom is a great thing to have, but wisdom in the end will not save you. It will not deliver you. In fact, it can become the source of your downfall, as I think it does uh, for for Solomon. So people, if you want to pray for something, just ask the Lord to give you faith, because that's the one thing that will last and that will never lead to your, your, your downfall. So anyway, so yeah, I would agree that, yeah. This is the beginning. Again, this is a tragedy. Why? Well, here's one of the reasons, because God gave him wisdom, but he began to rely on that wisdom rather than relying on God alone. I think it's Mark chapter 9, when when the father of the child cries out, I believe, help my unbelief, yeah. is, a, is, a, is a, a, a portion there that when we receive these, these gifts— you know, like these chariots or whatever it might be, that we say, Lord, help me to keep faith because this can easily lead me away. Not a matter of giving away everything. I mean, you can do this Zacchaeus thing. Um, you can give away everything, um, not everything, but give away a substantial portion of things. But also, to, Lord, help me to use this wisely. And also, I think I'd have to look this up more, but there is that connection of faith and wisdom where, you know, yes. like, to be wise is to have faith in Christ kind of understanding. Isn't that, how would you describe well, that? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that so, so, so that's what the Proverbs say, right? What Jesus, mm-hmm. Jesus is our wisdom. He is right. the wisdom. <laughs> and, and so as long as Solomon understood that, that he was looking again, because he doesn't know Jesus at this point. Right. Uh, he, he probably knows that God has promised, like he said, that there'll be an offspring that will come and all nations will be blessed. But, but that's the thing. See, when wisdom no longer becomes that which God gives, but it becomes that which I possess— that's where everything starts to go wrong. And it's the same thing with us because we do that constantly. We take mm-hmm. the gifts as if they're ours rather than gifts. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. And to be uh, received. I speak yep. that personally, yeah. Because mm-hmm. as a pastor, that's my problem too. I, I think God has given me certain gifts, but as soon as I get proud in those gifts, boy, I tell you what, more than once he made me look like a fool. 
That's right. And then That's I said, right. thank you. Thank you, Lord, because you're right. I did need it to look like a fool there. I was getting kind of cocky. <laughs> mm. Lord have mercy. So, yeah. So yeah, thank you to Paul. Yeah. Thank you to Paul for sending this question via email and keep them coming. This is a lot of fun to be able to, because it always reconnects us. You know, this that um, dynamic in chapter four connects us to chapter five. So let us read verses seven through nine as we Wait, continue. Oh, oh, no, to move no, 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 I'm sorry. Oh, come I, on. I got now. it. I got it. No, one more, one more, because because this <laughs> phrase in these first verses where it says, uh, you know that David, my father, could not build a house for the name of the Lord his God. Ah, Whenever you're reading in the Bible and you hear the phrase, the name, the name of God, you've got to understand that's talking about God's revelation of himself. Because you don't know anything about God until God comes and tells you. And, And that's what the sense of the word name is in the Bible. That's the revelation that God has given. And and I wanted to point it out because the Bible is clear that that revelation is progressive right? He, he comes to Moses and he says, you know, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. Mm. So we had one thing that God told to the, the patriarchs like Abraham. Then he comes with yet another revelation to Moses that there's actually one particular people he has chosen, and Moses will be their leader. Then he comes to David, and he gives him even more information, right? That David David's throne is going to be eternal, an everlasting kingdom. And and what I'm driving at here, Brady, is that the final and ultimate revelation of the name of God is one, of course, he comes as Jesus Christ. That's the fulfillment of all, all this other name business was leading up to the name by which every knee shall bow, right? Mm-hmm. And that is the name Jesus Christ. So I just wanted to throw that in there. So when you read and you hear the name of the Lord, think about that. Again, ultimately that name will, will be Jesus. And up to that point, God has given us more and more information about himself. But the ultimate revelation is in Christ. Well, from our reading from Sunday is, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven among men by which we must yeah. be saved. That's a great there, connection, Pastor. There you go, Brady. Yep, yep. Yeah. Let's move on to seven through nine. As soon as Hiram heard the words of Solomon, he rejoiced greatly and said, Blessed be the Lord this day, who has given to David a wise son to be over this great people. And, and I'm going to interrupt you. I'm going to interrupt. I'm sorry, because I just got to get this quick comment. See, even even Hiram understands this. Even yeah, Hiram right. knows that this is the fulfillment of, of God's promises. Okay? And uh, of course, yeah. unfortunately, he will deviate from that in the future, we know, as we do sometimes, too. But I think it's remarkable that even the Gentiles at this point are seeing the truth of God's word. And it's important. He does say, blessed be the the Lord Yahweh. I mean, that's L-O-R-D capital. So he's using the personal name of the Lord. Now, we can talk a little bit further about this, but it's like, does he have faith? Does he not? Is this a political statement? Is it not? There's a lot of different... um, theories on that but clearly he's he's saying the right words it appears that he's sincere but also we have to just take it for what it is and not put much too much salt into that and too much salt too much stake into what he had to say um any any other last thoughts on that because we talked about it briefly before the break but as he says the right words and he recognizes that god's at work 
Well, so, so, so here's my own personal understanding. If all we had was this, it would sound to me like he does recognize that the Lord is God, okay? Mm-hmm. But yeah. we know historically, like I said, that Hiram is the big temple builder. He not only assists uh, uh, for Solomon building the temple to the Lord, but he himself will modernize and update all the temples in his own land. So if he does recognize that the Lord is God, he still is thinking, but there's a bunch of other gods out here as well. Right. Uh, and I got to improve their temples, just like I helped Solomon improve the temple for the Lord. So, yeah. I don't know. We don't know. Yeah. yeah. It could be but a long conversation, and we still don't know. So let's go know. verses 8 through 9. Do you uh, have anything else, Pastor, so I can start? Nope, and no, I, you can go. I, I'll let you finish here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah all right. <laughs> 8 and 9. And Hiram sent to Solomon, saying, I have heard the message that you have sent to me. I am ready to do all you desire in the matter of cedar and cypress timber. My servants shall bring it down to the sea from Lebanon, and I will make it into rafts to go by sea to the place you direct. And I will have them broken up there, and you shall receive it. And you shall meet my wishes by providing food for my household." So this is kind of a back and forth, back and forth dynamic here is, yes, oh, thanks be to God, you are, are wise and you're following David's footsteps. This is what I'll do. And by the way, this is what you will do for me. Any thoughts on this? Well, see, now you've made me think about the fact this is, this is real life. Because we deal with people all the time, and we can't judge their hearts. I mean, we could look at these verses and say, oh, yeah, Hiram, sure, sure, you believe in the Lord. No, no, you're just looking out for what kind of food and, you know, uh, gifts we're going to give you for doing this. We could do that. Or on the other hand, we could say... No, he, he is. There, there, there is faith in this man at this point. And he really mm-hmm. does want to do something good for the Lord, even though he's still got these false gods in his life, like we have false gods in our lives too, right? We're hoping mm-hmm. in the doctors and the money and our position or whatever else, right? Isn't that what Luther says? Anything you put your trust in, that's your God there. Right. Um, so anyway, I, I, I think th- this is how we deal with people. We don't judge them. We don't judge them. We just take them at their word. That's how you have to treat people. you got to take them at their word. Now, if they're hypocrites, that'll become obvious. That'll become clear. But I think, yeah, I think Hiram seriously wants to be a help. He liked David. He he likes Solomon. But, of mm-hmm. course, see, he's still a sinner. He's still thinking about, well, what can I get out of it? Just like we do, too, right? We, we're thinking about maybe if we go to church, we can get a cup of coffee and a donut or something, if, you know, if they right. do that. <laughs> you know, so I, I just think it's the, the fact we're all saints and sinners. Yeah, and there's and there's a reality that if you have a whole bunch of men gather up this wood, they put the lumber, they put it on the Mediterranean Sea, they come down, they bring it to you. Guess what? They're probably going to need, and they're going to need some food. I mean, it's almost just as yeah. practical as that. <laughs> yeah, and I, I appreciate that too. Let's let's not make any judgments. It's just if if you were doing something, if I, we had people come and, and remodel our house before we moved in when I retired, and I'm still paying those people. Well, they've been paid, but I'm paying off the bank. Yeah, that's nothing wrong with that. That's how things work. And again, that I could do that. That's a blessing from God. So absolutely, thanks be to God. So let's continue on. It, it gets even more. Some of this is just details, but also I think it relates to everything that we have in our own lives. Verses 10 through 12. So Hiram supplied Solomon with all the timber of cedar and cypress that he desired. 
while Solomon gave Hiram 20,000 cores of wheat as food for his household and 20,000 cores of beaten oil. Solomon gave this to Hiram year by year, and the Lord gave Solomon wisdom as he promised him. And there was peace between Hiram and Solomon, and the two of them made a treaty. So Hiram supplied Solomon, and Solomon supplied Hiram. Any reflections on those verses? Well, see, again, that this is the author saying God's keeping his word. I, I mean, because mm-hmm. where in the world is Solomon getting 20? You know how much 20,000 cores of wheat is? <laughs> I, I don't know. 100,000 100, bushels of wheat is okay. what, the, the, what I saw. That's a lot of bushels, by the way. That's a lot of bushels. That's a lot of bushels. <laughs> and so, so that's what, that's what the, the author here is trying to say. So if the question is, where did we get here? Why, why, why did we lose our temple? Why are we exiles? Is it because God wasn't good to us? No, that's uh, not. That's not the that's problem. True. No, God has been good. God has done everything God said he was. And here's the evidence. He gave all these things because you know, what a blessing that Solomon could give this much to, to hear him. And he gave him peace because after all, that's what the name Solomon means. It's from the Hebrew word shalom, which is the word for peace. So God... The one thing I think is interesting, though, is the two of them made a treaty, and the word there in the Hebrew, I believe, is the word again for covenant. And and there's significance in that. This is an agreement between two men. God makes a covenant, and the difference is it's always one way for God. God makes promises. God keeps promises, and they're independent of what we may or may not do. God always keeps his treaty, his agreement. And of course, the ultimate fulfillment of that is the fact that he sent his son Jesus, right? Because mm-hmm. isn't that what he says? He says, you know, they broke my covenant. That's what God says. But I was faithful to them in Jeremiah 31. And of course, that faithfulness is seen that he he just sent us a savior for the very people mm-hmm. who broke the covenant. He sent us a savior. And remember their sins no more is the, is ah, the final exactly. covenant as it has. Now, what's yeah. interesting, and, and this is important for us, because when we when we compare a covenant or a treaty we will make, kind of like you're saying with these uh, people that that redid your house, is that you make a covenant. Yeah. You say, I'll pay this, you do this, everything is said and done. Well, uh, there's a lot of paper paperwork we need to fill out for these things. You know, I, I just refinanced my home last year. I mean, it was uh, yeah, like so an you hour know and a half. What talking about. Right. Yeah. This guy comes to my house and we sign about 8 million pieces of paper. And I hope that they're all correct. You know, I did it through LCF. <laughs> it should be right. But uh, but it, it looks like, okay, there it is. And these covenants get broken or else we wouldn't have to sign so many pieces of paper, you know, throughout yeah. our lives. And it looked like this is a home run. Like there's not going to be any problems. There's peace all around. Now I have a, a, a thousand, 100,000 bushels, which, by the way, if I'm doing math right, a bushel is 60 pounds. That's 60 pounds. Take that times 100,000. Not good at math, but I think that's 6 million, okay? 6 million pounds of, of uh, bushels that are there. I mean, can you imagine them giving that over saying, here you go, here you go. And you say, how can anything ever go wrong from here on out? I give you 110,000 gallons of oil. I've given you this. Everything is good. I get our temple. You guys are fat and happy. Everything will be perfect forever because our covenant is perfect. But the reality is it never is because in this life, we'll always have to sign more pieces of paper because it never (laughs) is perfect. So any last thoughts on that before I move on? Well, and now you've set us up for the next verses. Because yes. in the next verses, we begin to see, no, this isn't this perfect arrangement that, that 
it might seem to be. Uh, Very yeah. good. In fact, the next verses, I think, are really, really sad as you wrestle with why are we in exile? And because the next verses are going to kind of indicate, well, here, here's the problem about the temple. Well, anyway, maybe better read it. No, that's, so. and, that, and that's helpful because since we have the whole picture, we're thinking we can even look at it from the, from the perspective of the Babylonian exile, that people were taken away. And what they saw that we're going to see be built up in glory and honor of our Lord is gone. I mean, it's yeah. like our own church just disappearing, and all you have left is a foundation that you go and visit 40 years later. We can see it from that perspective of the Israelites. They go back home, and they remember these stories from First Kings, and it's gone, just completely gone. And now we see it unfold, and, and well, we, we, Lord have mercy, we repent and ask, Lord, help us to keep faith. So. That's very helpful as you keep going back to that, because too often we just stick to the story. We don't see the whole story. So thank you for highlighting that. Any other thoughts? Let's move on. Yep, let's move on. Let's do it. 13 through 18. King Solomon drafted forced labor out of all of Israel, and the draft numbered 30,000 men. And he sent them to Lebanon, 10,000 a month in shifts, and they would be a month in Lebanon and two months at home. Adoniram was in charge of the draft. Solomon also had 70,000 burden bearers and 80,000 stone cutters in the hill country. Besides Solomon's 3,300 chief officers who were over the work, who had charge of the people who carried on the work. At the king's command, they quarried out great costly stones in order to lay the foundation of the house with dressed stones. So Solomon's builders and Hiram's builders and the men of Gibal did the cutting and prepared the timber and the stone to build the house. So there was a draft, um, not quite the same as we think of in the past in America, the draft, but a working draft and other things unfolded. So where do you want to start? All right. Well, so here's the thing that I'd never realized before. In order to build the temple, we're going to have to draft labor out of Israel. Okay. Uh, and, and again, the commentators go all around this because there's a, you know, a passage where it says, you know, Israelites will never be enslaved. Uh, and, and the uh. point is, no, he, he's not enslaving them. This is, uh, it is forced labor, though. It is, but they're not slaves because they're only doing it, what, uh, what, three months out of the year? Is that what, I think they're one month right. on and two months off. So, mm -hmm. no, they're, 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 they've been conscripted, like, like we do. Like we get soldiers, you know, we, we drafted people for the war in Vietnam and the wars before. But they're not slaves. When they're done with their conscription, they're, they're go bad about their business. The, these other people, though, the 70,000 burden bearers and 80,000 stonecutters, no, they are slaves, though. Uh, we know from other biblical passages that these are the Canaanites that had been uh, conquered and now have been used as slave labor all this time. Um, but see, here to me is what the problem is. I would think if if I was an Israelite and and we have this wonderful project given us by God to build a temple uh, to the honor of His name, I think I'd want to do that, wouldn't you? I but would apparently think so. that's not what's going on here, is it? 
apparently even the Israelites themselves have to be constricted to uh, conscripted rather to to mm -hmm. uh, provide the labor. We have to use slave labor to get this done. Now, on the one hand, it's pretty impressive again, and and that's the point. This is quite the temple when you think about all the men that are involved in building it. But on the other hand, I think it's kind of sad to think that none of these men are doing it because they want to. They're all doing it because they're forced to do it. And and to me, that's kind of showing the problem that uh, uh, this temple, this great and glorious temple of Solomon, and yet it's a sad thing because it's not something that people joyfully and willingly built, but it's something that they were built because it was forced to. And then this, of course, makes us think about why are we going to church? Why are we making our offerings? Are we doing it with a joyful heart, because the Lord loves uh, a joyful, joyful giver. giver. Yeah, yeah. So, see, I'm thinking, there, there it is. There you begin to see the sin. And here's what I think is interesting. So, so when they finally do get back to the Promised Land, when they are released after 70 years from exile, mm -hmm. they don't have any slave labor there. They don't have any foreigners to build it. Uh, that temple, they'll have to build on their own, because and again, they're they're reluctant to do that too. We know, right? Yeah, right. you know yeah, the prophet. True. You you got your house as a cedar, and the Lord doesn't have anything yet. But uh, well, anyway, <laughs> I'm sorry. I just never realized that before because I think that's kind of the point of chapter five that you got a Gentile who's eager to contribute, although of course he expects to get paid for. It, but he's eager to do this, and yet right. you got the people themselves, and they don't seem to be all that enthused about construct. Well, I'm sure they'll be glad when the temple's done. Right. Yeah. Well, and then that's well partly because it's hard work. I mean, that's a well, yeah. <laughs> you know, well, you said I, that before. We have a vocation, yeah. but you didn't say, "Oh, you'll have a lot of fun in that vocation." <laughs> sure, changing diapers. That's what when I was the a vocation of father, I just rejoiced. No, of yeah. course we don't. It is no. hard work. Mm -hmm. And that, and you've been through enough. Uh, uh, church meetings that have to do with building. Um, it's, it's funny. I always joke with my father that you know he went through three building projects when he was a pastor, and I'm kind of like I'm praying that I don't have any um, because it it is very difficult to go through. You have to gather the the people, and they're all well intentioned. They love each other, but yet they all have strong opinions. Um, and you can imagine the strong opinions that would come across as they're building this temple with 70,000 burden bearers. I mean, I love the name of their burden bearers, that they had to take this on, even though they might not have wanted to. Stone cutters, which I'm guessing was not a really clean cut um, vocation in those days. And all these people are together. And I, I love how you say it that way. And I guess I never read it that way, is that they had to bring all these people in because... There was a, just kind of a struggle of faith. Why are we doing this? Who is the one that saved us from this? Uh, you know, what is all happening? And we have the same burdens that we go into everything. Is Do I really want to do this? And it's a test of faith, I suppose you would say. Well, I, I guess if you're an Israelite, you're thinking, hey, we had to build all those pyramids in Egypt. Why would we want to do this here? You know, that's why we that's why we became here, so we wouldn't have to do this kind of stuff. You know? Uh, right. Um, and, and I don't know. See, again, it just reflects the fact that these are still sinful people, even though God has showered them with blessings, you know. Mm. Now, now, before, I guess you could complain and say, well, you know, we're wandering in the wilderness. We just don't have much. We're living off of manna. What, what do you expect of us? But here, as the text clearly shows, they have been given an abundance of food. They have great prosperity. 
But that doesn't change anything, does it? See, that's the mm. thing we don't realize. We think if God would only give us more blessings, then we'd really be good people. And, right. and no, 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 no. If you're not a good person, if you're not a loving and caring person in poverty, you're not going to be a loving and caring person with all the blessings of the world. In fact, if anything, you'll probably be worse. Probably so, be worse, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I had a, a beloved member tell me once he he had they had transferred here they had moved to this area and he had been a chairman at his previous congregation and he had told me kind of like horror stories about like they were four months away from from closing because they didn't have enough money and and there was problems when the kids went to the national youth gathering and they didn't, didn't have enough money how are we gonna get these kids money and he went through the whole list and you're hearing it you're like wow i don't think i don't think he's campaigning to be on the board here in our church <laughs> by any stretch but then he made it he made a comment at the end of it is when he said but you know what i really grew in my faith because i needed to trust in the lord while we were doing this work and i think that's a that's a good statement for us to remember as we look at this is are we going to trust in the lord or are we not and that's the that's the reality of the israelites are they going to trust in yahweh or are they going to trust in something else and that unfolds in unique ways as we look at our text. Pastor, we have about a minute left. Do you want to give any last thoughts as we look at this? Well, just reflecting what you said, and the tragedy is, as you move from here, is they're not going to trust the Lord. That's mm -hmm. the tragedy. It's not going to get better. It's reached its peak with David, who was, by the way, a murderer and an adulterer. Let's not forget that. Yeah. Uh, but, but here's the thing. The Lord is still going to be faithful to them. And, and that's the message we all need to understand. You're, you're, we have vocations to do. I hope when people quit listening to us, they'll go and they'll hug their wives and, and love their children and do whatever work that God has given them to, and they'll do it to the best of their ability. But we all know in one way or the other, we will fail in those things. As you said, we're, we're sinners. It just isn't going to happen perfectly the way it should. But we need to remember that God will always, he will always be faithful to us. There's nothing you can do to keep God from loving and forgiving you. And that's what he's going to do for these people. And we're going to see that in the book of Kings. Uh, although it's a sad, sad story, though. But the Lord will remain faithful. And, of course, the ultimate proof of that is that he sent Jesus to the Jews, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> to the mm -hmm. very people that would kill him. That's who he went with the message of his love and forgiveness. And now he sends it also to all the Gentiles. Who, by the way, that's the other key thing in this text. The Gentiles are providing the materials. They're providing the labor, even though it might be forced. But, but this is a temple for all people. Pastor John Lekomsky is co-host of Wrestling with the Basics here on KFUO, giving us strength by God's word. Pastor Lekomsky, thank you again for being our thank guest. Thank you, Brady. Saints of our Lord, as Solomon prepared to build the temple, we see a lot of grace, we see a lot of faith, but also we see sin that creeps upon us every day. We have this happen in every aspect of our lives, but our Lord calls us to live out our vocations in faith, knowing that it is in Christ that he has given us all things. I'm your host, Brady Finneran, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And may he keep you safe in the palm of his hands.